Ray Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Bird Watchers General Store, Route 6A, Orleans, Cape Cod. On the web at birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. By the Boston Harbor Island Alliance. Minutes away, worlds apart. Go to bostonharborislands.org for more information. Good morning. Welcome to our show number 508. Well, Justin Lawson from Millbury, Massachusetts, reports a sighting of a bird that's pretty uncommon here in New England. That would be the barnacle goose. At last report, two of the birds resting on ice on the Long Meadow Flats in western Massachusetts near the Connecticut River. The (laughs) the barnacle goose has a remarkable legend associated with it, dating back to the 13th century, when it was actually believed that they weren't hatched from eggs, but instead from, right, barnacles that attached themselves to timber tossed into the sea. Something we talked about once when this bird was our featured feathered friend. Based on a legend that may have been created for a very specific purpose, some Irish clerics declared barnacle goose flesh to be acceptable food on fasting days. Since, having been born from barnacles, they were really fish, not fowl. Pope Innocent spoiled the party, though, by pointing out that since these birds, even if they were born from barnacles, lived and fed like ducks... So they could not be eaten during Lent. Sorry, fellas. Meanwhile, we like this mass bird posting from Peter Gaines in Norfolk, Massachusetts. He says, in the middle of this little snowstorm, I had three red-winged blackbirds at my suet feeder. All of the field guides show this is a year-rounder for the Northeast, but I can't remember, he says, seeing one at this time of year. For me, they are usually... The first harbinger of spring. Maybe this is a good sign. Maybe it is, Peter. It's not even mid-January yet, but we are already thinking about spring. From our friends Paul Basich and Wayne Peterson in their Birding Community e-bulletin comes news of an amazing report explaining that a gathering of more than 200 scientists from 20 countries last month released the results of a big research project that shows how birds evolved their amazingly colorful feathers and lost their teeth and learned to sing and how their brain circuitry works. The project has rearranged what we know about birds and has revealed unexpected family relationships. For example... Where did you hear this? The study clearly established that falcons, long thought to be closely related to eagles or vultures, are actually more closely related to... Wait for it. Parrots. And that flamingos, long considered to be closely related to pelicans, are actually more closely related to... You might not believe this. Pigeons evolutionarily and genetically speaking. As Per Erikson from the Swedish Museum of Natural History in Stockholm put it, Translation, it's mind-blowing. kind of is. <laughs> hey, just a reminder that our phone lines are always open here on Talking Birds. If you have a question or comment, observation about birds, nature in general, pretty much anything, give us a call here at 781 
800-781-837-4900. Well, Bay State birders are buzzing about a bird in Boston that's blasting big batches of bark as it hammers on hemlocks in Forest Hills Cemetery. It's a mostly black bird from the Boreal Forest. That is way up north. It's this bird right here. That would be the black-backed woodpecker. Here's a great comment about the bird as posted by Stuart Walker, Walker on the Mass Bird Forum. He says, in part, It is hard to appreciate how vibrant and beautiful this bird is when all you have to go on are illustrations, regardless of their quality. Many birders were fortunate to have prolonged looks at it this afternoon. A powerful, confident-seeming adult male vigorously whacking away at hemlocks. From the side, the black and white flank feathers bordering the white breast and belly appeared fluffed out, covering much of the sides. The sharply defined yellow cap was bright and rich. The white malar stripe continued just past the head onto the shoulders, and the back was a dark, glossy black. It is really a stunning bird. And a great description there by Stuart Walker. Meanwhile, our friend David Bernstein has captured some really good photos of the bird and you can see one of them right now on our Talking Birds Facebook page. And by the way, if you happen to be in Boston, we see a report this morning that that black-backed woodpecker is still there at Forest Hills Cemetery. Extra, extra, read all about it. Well, speaking of uh, Facebook, extra. on our Facebook page this week, thanks to our associate producer, Emma Morgenstern, we have another round of fascinating stories and pictures and videos, including some pretty upbeat international news. For example, in the eastern states of India, folks are switching from falcon hunting to falcon preservation. We have the story. In Iraq, people are catching European starlings and selling them at the market, but mostly for people to buy them back and release them again into the wild. We have a link there. We'll also connect you to ornithologist Jason Weckstein, who has made it his life's mission to study bird lice. Turns out they provide a surprising wealth of information about pathogens and evolution. And the folks at Imperial College in London say we should be spending our conservation dollars or pounds more wisely and that just one British pound can preserve 26 years of bird evolution. Find out just what they mean by that and check out all the other stories, pictures and videos this week on our Talking Birds Facebook page. Remember, too, you can always do an Internet search on these topics if you're not a Facebook fan. We've been doing conservation quotes for a long time here on the show. We thought we'd make this a little more proactive and turn to conservation salutes instead. So here's our first one. It goes to the Caribbean island of Bonaire, just off the coast of Venezuela, where they are approaching a 100% level of renewable energy, thanks to 12 wind turbines, which contribute to up to 90% of the island's electricity at times of peak wind and an included battery storage system along with diesel generation to provide energy when there's not enough wind power available. Next steps in the island's energy transformation involve using local algae resources grown in the large salt flats on the island. 
to create biofuel, which can then be used in the existing generators to allow Bonaire to operate a 100% renewable electricity system. We visited Bonaire a couple of years ago, and I can tell you there's a lot of work to do there in terms of the plastic pollution on many of their shorelines. It was pretty sad to see. Here's hoping that environmental challenge might be tackled next. But for their renewable energy efforts, we offer a Talking Birds conservation salute to the island of Bonaire. Well, here's the answer to our Birds and Beans coffee quiz, for which the deadline was January 4th at midnight. The question was, the yellow warbler has been known to build a stack of as many as six nests. It does this to thwart the efforts of what other bird? The answer was brown-headed cowbird, which lays its eggs in other birds' nests, tricking them into raising them as though they were their own. The winner, whose entry was drawn at random from among all correct entries received, is John Blackwell from Columbus, Texas. Let's hear it for John there. Ready to go, John. Still to come on our show today, we'll present a Let's Ask Mike segment with Mike O'Connor, who is not hefting bags of black oil sunflower seed at the Bird Watchers General Store today. He is instead chasing roadrunners and black-bellied whistling ducks in southern Arizona. But we'll track him down and see how he's doing out there and have him answer a listener's question in the process. As always, our Mystery Bird Contest will test your powers of recall and observation with a fabulous feeder from Droll Yankees as the prize to the first listener who can call in and identify the bird. Meanwhile, on last week's Mystery Bird Contest, we got a call from Daniel Harrington out in western Oklahoma who told us about some bird research he's doing at Oklahoma State University. So we're going to make the subject of Daniel's research. Today's Talking Birds featured Feathered Friend. Well, Daniel Harrington and his Ph.D. student predecessor, Matt Carroll, have learned a lot of interesting things about northern bobwhites, like the fact that in the western part of their range, they're very dependent on rain. So dry years produce almost no young, while wet years can help boost populations significantly. They've also learned that a group of eggs in a single nest can contain the genes of as many as four different males. And that males often sit on nests, while a female will sometimes create two nests, with the male sitting on one and the female on the other. Bob White's nests are usually a grass-lined scrape in the ground, but in Texas and Oklahoma, they sometimes nest in plants like prickly pear cactus, apparently to keep their nests safe from predators. Daniel points out that the northern bobwhite is the most researched game bird and one of the most researched birds of any species in the world. That's got to be a good thing, since bobwhites have been in sharp decline throughout the past half century, likely due to habitat degradation and loss through urbanization, fire suppression, and changes in agriculture and forestry. Agricultural fields have become less suitable for bobwhites with higher levels of pesticides and herbicides yielding less insect and plant food and fewer hedgerows for shelter. Northern bobwhites are small members of the quail family with rounded bodies, small heads, rounded wings and short tails intricately patterned in brown, rufous, buff and black. Males have a bold black and white head pattern while females have a buffy throat and eyebrow. 
and the bird's elegantly dappled plumage offers excellent camouflage as they move about in small groups and run from the safety of one shrubby patch to another. When flushed, bobwhites famously explode into flight before ducking back into the nearest cover. Their namesayer call is famous too, and produced by both males and females, although most commonly by unmated males during the breeding season. The northern bobwhite is the official bird of Tennessee, Georgia, and Washington, and a group of them is collectively known as a bevy, or a covey, or a name-dropping of bobwhites. Colinus virginianus, the northern bobwhite. Today's Talking Birds featured Feathered Fred. Thanks again for being with us on our show number 508. We hope you'll follow us on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram at Talking Birds and check out our website, TalkingBirds.com. And by the way, if you're up in Maine or would like to go there, want to let you know that we'll be broadcasting our show live from the L.L. Bean flagship store in Freeport, Maine, on May 24th. Sunday, May 24th, we'll be doing our show live, and accompanying us will be the great birder Wayne Peterson, who will be doing a presentation following our show. So we hope you'll put that on your calendar. Sunday, May 24th, at the L.L. Bean flagship store in Freeport, Maine, live with Talking Birds. Up next here, it's our Mystery Bird Contest in just one minute. Public ferry service to the Boston Harbor Islands has ended for the season, but you can still visit the beautiful Boston Harbor Islands peninsulas open year-round. World's End in Hingham, Deer Island in Winthrop, Webb Memorial Park in Weymouth, and Nut Island in Quincy. They're connected to the mainland and accessible by car, offering stunning views of Boston Harbor and its islands, plus birding, hiking, biking, and cross-country skiing. Enjoy your national park all year long. For more information, please visit bostonharborislands.org. Here on Talking Birds Now, a message from our friends at Ducks Unlimited. Since 1937, Ducks Unlimited has been a world leader in wetlands conservation, ensuring safe passage for nature's most beautiful creations, protection against flooding, and sanctuary for the human soul. If we don't want to grow old in a world without wild places, we must speak up. We must step up so that we may fill the skies for generations to come. Our Mystery Bird Contest presented every week here on Talking Birds. Here's how it works. We describe a bird. We give some clues. We play the sound of the bird, song, or call, and invite you to call in and tell us what it is. If you don't know, we'll take a guess, because if no correct answer is received, a drawing will determine our winner. So we'll have a winner regardless of whether we get the exact correct answer. One guess per caller. 781-837-4900 is the number, and you're eligible to win if you haven't been a winner here on Talking Birds in the past six months. 781-837-4900 is the number. Talking Birds made possible in part by the Cornell Lab of Ornithology, a world leader in the study, appreciation, and conservation of birds. Please check them out at birds.cornell.edu. Here's the sound of our mystery bird. By the way, our prize is a new generation 15-inch thistle or Niger seed feeder from Girl Yankees, makers of the world's best bird feeders. Our mystery bird is an irregular winter visitor to the northern U.S. from its breeding grounds up in northern Canada and Alaska. It's a medium-sized 
plump, heavy-chested songbird with two white wing bars and a large, stubby, curved bill. The male is mostly red. The female is mostly gray. Sometimes a little olive gray, I think. Our bird eats seeds and buds and fruit and a few insects. And if you were really paying attention, you heard us talking about this bird uh, on a recent show here on Talking Birds. What do you think it is? Take a guess if you don't know and take a chance at that beautiful Droll Yankees new generation 15-inch thistle or Niger seed feeder. 781-837-4900 is the number. 781-837-4900. Meanwhile, we're going to check in with Mike O'Connor out in Arizona in just one minute. There's a crisis facing us today that reaches far beyond borders or boundaries. It's our planet, and it's in trouble. Scientists estimate that climate change will increasingly alter our planet, and many of our land and water resources will be at risk. Without them, we could lose many of the natural habitats that support life on Earth. Not only will numerous plant and animal species disappear, but the quality of life for all of us, will never be the same. What scientists haven't calculated is the power of the human will to work together to save the future of our natural world and all of its inhabitants. If you're ready to make a difference that lasts, to help protect nature and preserve life, visit the Nature Conservancy at nature.org today. That's nature.org today. Well, it's our familiar Let's Ask Mike theme, but we're customizing it a little here this morning because Mike is out there in Arizona, not far from Tombstone, home of the gunfight at OK Corral and Boot Hill, and the Birdcage Theater. If you can hear me, partner, speak up there, because I'm getting a little <laughs> hoarse doing this voice. You know, it's perfect for me to do an accent, right, but I can really do a New England accent. <laughs> So you're probably in a primitive lean-to out there in the Red Rock Canyon somewhere, yeah? Yeah, let's go with that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I just slept under the stars last night and curled up with a rattlesnake. and A uh... little hardtack, coffee in a tin cup. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and certain beans. And beans. Yeah. I love it, partner, I'll tell you. <laughs> so you're out there in Arizona, and you're seeing, I think you said you already saw Roadrunner, or was that when you were still in California? Yeah, that was uh, actually when I was still in California. We started in San Diego and then drove... Drove across. We've been driving for almost a, over a week now. We went through the Laguna Mountains, which was kind of alpine, so it was snow and oh, oh. cold. Then we went right down to the desert where everything changed. And then we saw the roadrunners and the million flycatchers, and it's all getting good. All right. What, like else, a, what else can you regale us with out there that you've been seeing? <laughs> well, it's, it's pleasant, I'll tell you that. Yeah. Uh, we stopped at the Salton Sea. I don't know if anybody's been to the Salton Sea, which is an uh, inland salt body of water that was created about 100 years ago when the Colorado River broke through and filled in this big depression in California. It's huge, but it's also uh, kind of set off from water now, so it's slowly getting too salty and stinky, but there's still a lot of birds come there. So it's a good place to see birds, not a good place for um, pretty viewing, as we'll say, because it's kind of uh, kind of ugly. But we went to the Sunny Bono National Wildlife Refuge, and, mm-hmm. um, and good for Sunny for getting involved in that yeah that's that's where near near or is it near well it's it's south of way south of palm springs mm-hmm. down right really kind of at the bottom uh almost almost in mexico and it's in, really in the imperial valley so the whole area is surrounded by nothing but farms but the 
you know, we picture New England kind of peaceful, tranquil farms. These are just big industrial things with fertilizer plants and, and trucks, and it's really not really good. It's a good place for birds, but not a good place for picture-taking because it's hmm. pretty ugly and industrial around that area. All right, well, let's get your mind off that and uh, on to a question from a listener. How about that? Hey, that'd be awesome. This one says, I have a question for Mike. I inherited a classic cement bird bath last year. Last summer, I would fill it with water up to near the rim. The water was probably three inches deep. The goldfinch, blue jays, and some sparrows would drink from the bath. I went on vacation. The water evaporated down to about a half inch deep. I noticed a lot of feathers in the water when I went to clean and fill the bath. I began thinking that I was filling the bath too high. What is the optimal depth for bird bath water? Best regards, Dean Tyler in East Greenwich. Rhode Island. I wonder what happened to those birds with all those feathers in there. <laughs> it was molting season. No big deal. Okay. Birds you actually splash around to help them molt and get rid of their feathers during a molting change. So that's no big deal. Water depth is important, but it really depends on the bird. Um, I would say a couple of bird baths aren't a bad idea because we have a really, probably one like you described, you know, about three inches deep. And uh the larger birds, the jays, the doves, and the robins like that. But then we have one that's probably not more than an inch, inch and a half deep, and that's where the chickadees and the goldfinches and the nuthatches go. Um, so I would say, you know, probably if you want to keep everybody happy, keep it about probably an inch and a half, two inches deep. People want them deep because they don't want to fill them as often, but that's really not the thing to do. You want to change the water pretty regularly anyways because the droppings and all what they're trying to get rid of goes in the water. So a big, deep bird bath isn't the option, but the, the little bit bigger birds, like the three-inch deep ones. But I, in this time of year, um, you know, we should think about having a heated bird bath because mm-hmm. that's where we get the most birds. Most of my customers come in with unusual birds, especially bluebirds and robins, with their plug-in heated bird baths. So... Because everything's freezing, as you guys know. Yeah, uh, and people, people are concerned that's going to use up a lot of electricity, but I don't think it does, does it? Because it just keeps the water from, it doesn't heating up the water. Just Correct. It from it, it, you're not making soup. It's, yeah. it's, the water just probably gets about 35 degrees. just keeps from freezing. And if you buy a, a not a bird bath heater, I mean, you can use those, but they're a little bit more inefficient. The heated bird baths mm-hmm. that are probably about 50 or 60 watts, that's all they use, just like a small light bulb. And like you said, they're on thermostats. If it warms up, they shut off, and they're not that all inefficient. So I, I'd kind of recommend looking into something like that because people bring in bluebird pictures all the time in the heated bird baths, and then they don't get them any other time. So they're kind of a cool thing. All right, there you go, Dean, and thank you, uh, Mike. And I was, has the sun come up yet out there? Just came up. I can see the cactuses, oh. and I'm you know I'm just going about to. Uh, Get back to that hard tack we talked about earlier. Yeah, you roll up that tent real good now. <laughs> and, uh, watch out for the sidewinders. You got it right. All right, talk to you soon. You got it. Yeah. All Bye-bye. right, Mike O'Connor out there in Arizona with our Let's Ask Mike segment. Send your question to Mike, by the way. We'll send you a copy of Mike's fabulous new book, Why Do Bluebirds Hate Me? Just talking about bluebirds there. Kind of a little tough for Mike, Mike to talk about because he just doesn't get them in his yard. But... He has all the answers to your questions in that uh, in that terrific book. Send your question to Ray at TalkingBirds.com, Ray at TalkingBirds.com, and our thank you gift for sending the question is that gift is that book signed by Mike himself, and we'll get of course your answer answered on your question answered here on the air. Back here at the mystery bird contest, can we hear that mystery bird one more time, Ryan? An irregular winter visitor to the northern U.S. from its breeding grounds up in northern Canada and Alaska. 
medium-sized, plump, heavy-chested songbird with two white wing bars and a large, stubby, curved bill. The male is mostly red. The female is mostly gray. Our bird eats seeds and buds and fruit and a few insects. 781-837-4900 is the number to call. If you'd like to take a guess or tell us what that bird is and win that beautiful new generation 15-inch thistle or Niger seed feeder from Droll Yankees, makers of the world's best bird feeders. Uh, let's see. Our first caller is uh, Marjorie in Pembroke, Massachusetts. Good morning, Marjorie. Good morning, Ray. How are you this morning? Keeping uh, warm in Pembroke? No. No. <laughs> Trying to. What do you say on the mystery bird, Marjorie? I was thinking of one before, but I can, can I change my mind? You can, yes. You a can white-winged crossbill? A white-winged crossbill. Let's check the envelope here. No, not a white-winged crossbill. Okay. You're close. Thank you. Thank you, Marjorie. Bye. Not a white-winged crossbill, but we're certainly in the ballpark. 781-837-4900 is the number. And uh, I believe we have Linda in beautiful Cohasset, Massachusetts. I bet it's really warm there this morning. Good morning, Linda. Hello, Linda. It's so warm that Linda is speechless, apparently, in uh, Cohasset. We'll try her one more time. Linda in Cohasset, are you there? I guess you're not. Well, at least we can't connect with you there. 781-837-4900 is the number to call. And uh, while we wait to connect with another caller here, we'll give you a reminder uh, about... Uh, an upcoming show next week's show now we we might have one or one or the other of these guests here it might be famed author and owl expert scott widensall talking about something fascinating called um project snowstorm or if we can connect with him we we're trying to do that we may connect with global big year man noah striker who's attempting to see 5,000 bird species in one year on our next show. Okay, back to the uh, phones at our mystery bird contest. I think we're going to Lorena, is that right? And Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Good morning, Lorena. Hello. Hi there. I bet it's not warm up there. No, it's about minus 20. Minus 20. Wow. <laughs> so we should be thankful for the heat wave we're having down here in Massachusetts. Yeah, I'm pretty jealous. <laughs> All right, so uh, thanks for calling in. How'd you find our show, by the way? Um, I think it was just uh, Googling podcasts for birds. Uh-huh. Okay, well, thanks for finding us, and welcome. What do you think our uh, mystery bird is? I think it's a pine grosbeak. I think you're correct. That is a, that is a pine grosbeak. Right. Awesome. The Moke. Yeah, we talked about this bird, um, was it last week or the week before? It might have been last week on our show, but uh, absolutely right. Uh, any sightings of pine grosbeaks up your way? Uh, not this year. Not this year, but in, in previous years? I haven't seen one myself, but other people have. Yeah, okay. What about, what are you seeing this year? Um. Well, we got lots of uh, waterfowl. Mm-hmm. Are you, and, and so you're near the water, are you, or traveling around looking for Oh uh, Yeah, we're near uh, Lake Ontario, so uh -huh. we get lots of good stuff there. Okay, very cool. Well, uh, Lorena, did I pronounce your name correctly, by the way? Actually, you did. Oh, well, we get lucky once in a while, right? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Lorena, and congratulations. Uh, stay on the line. We will uh, get your address and send you that beautiful Droll Yankees feeder. Okay, thanks very All much. Right, thanks. Lorena, there in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, correctly identifying our mystery bird. 
the pine grosbeak. Yes, we did feature this bird on our show, and I think it was uh, just last week we talked about the fact that up in Newfoundland, I should have asked Lorena if they if they use this name in uh, in Ontario, but in Newfoundland they called the pine grosbeak the mope because it's so slow moving and relatively tame. Although this is quite a show that pine grosbeaks can put on when they find a tree filled with lots of fruit. They will often stay there and they have until they have consumed all of the fruit on that entire tree. And this is a cool pine grosbeak trick. In breeding season, adults develop pouches in the floor of their mouths for carrying food to their young. Those pine grosbeaks, they just think of everything. We're just about out of time for our show this morning. Just a reminder again, put it on your calendar if you're up in Maine or going there. May 24th. Uh, we'll be at L.L. Bean's flagship store. And we have some other remote locations that we'll be visiting that we're very excited about. And we'll talk about them on next week's show when we'll present either famed author and owl expert Scott Widensall or global big year man Noah Stryker, who last we checked was on a ship off Antarctica or in Antarctica somewhere. And that is our show for today. The executive producer of Talking Birds is Mark Duffield. Our associate producer is Emma Morgenstern. Our engineer is Ryan Stanton. I'm Ray Brown. See you next week. Ray Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Bird Watchers General Store, Bruce 6A, Orleans, Cape Cod. On the web at birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. By the Boston Harbor Island Alliance. Minutes away, worlds apart. Go to bostonharborislands.org for more information. Hey, I'm talking birds. I love that show.